Sometimes in life, it is appropriate to look around. You know, if you, if you went shopping, I don't know why you would, but I understand people do. I think it's okay to look around. I've even heard that it's possible to, to only look around, though I've never seen it actually happen in the wild. But supposedly that's a thing. But it's okay to look around. If you go on, if you go on a hike in an especially beautiful setting, look around. See what's there. If you're, if you're at a zoo, if you're at a museum, right, you shouldn't be just on the quickest path through that thing. It's best to look around. Appreciate what's there. Other times, though, looking around is a terrible idea. One of the things I tend to do that is one of Rachel's least favorite things that I tend to do, is when I am driving, I have a tendency to look around. And she has this crazy idea that I should look forward instead of looking around. She's probably right. If, if you're using power tools, it is best to look forward and not look around. If you are having surgery... Before they put you under, your hope and your trust is that the surgeon will not be looking around while he or she is removing your gallbladder or whatever they are doing in there. You want them to look forward, not around. Well, we're three sermons in now to our study into the book of James. And he wants to teach us about looking forward and not around. This book, the letter, James's letter, is a book about growing in the faith. I don't mean being raised in a Christian home, like growing up around the faith. I mean each of us growing in this faith we claim to have. This is the, the maturation process as Christians. The, the theological term is sanctification, which just means um, in Galatians we talked about when we believe in Jesus Christ, if you, if you trust that the reason God is okay with you is because he was not okay with Jesus on the cross, that Jesus on the cross, he was there under the punishment you deserve for your sins, that the wrath of God was poured out on him and instead of being poured out on you, if that's what you trust in for your position with God, Paul in Galatians said you are justified. That means you've been gifted with a declaration of righteousness, innocence, perfection from the God of the universe. So your righteousness is way up here, legally before God. That's justification. Sanctification is this process that we are supposed to be on in fits and starts, where little by little, day by day, bit by bit, The reality of my life is supposed to inch closer and closer to that legal position I have before God. That's the growth, the sanctification that James wrote this book about. Taking that seriously, wanting, desiring for God to have His way in me so that I'm more and more like Jesus. That's what the book of James is about. Now, so far, here's what we've learned. The first topic 
that James starts with about us growing in our faith is trials, pain, tribulations, temptation. James said God wants to use the painful things that happen to us to grow us. So if we have that desire, I want to grow in this faith, and God says pain, trials, tribulation can aid that process, then somehow I can count those trials as joy. Then last week, James said, if we want to grow through trials, what we're going to need is wisdom. The wisdom that tells me during the pain, while I'm being tempted, what God says is wise, what God says is best, is still best, even for me, even now, even during this, even though some other activity, some other behavior might make me feel better, might stop the pain, might seem smarter. Wisdom dictates what God says is best is best, even now. That will help me mature and grow in this faith. Well, today, as James continues to talk about trials, pain, suffering, difficulties, James is going to teach us today that in order to mature in the faith, we must look forward and not around. Maturity, sanctification requires that I look forward to that day, the day where I will stand before God more than I look around to see what I might acquire, accomplish, achieve on this day. Looking around makes me compare myself to others and either have pride in how I compare favorably or have sorrow for how I don't. And make no mistake, the reason this is in here at this point is because during the trial, when you are suffering, that's maybe the easiest time to look around and compare yourself to others. Because one thing that makes suffering so painful is just how lonely and isolating and unfair that it is. When it's your turn to suffer, it's very easy to look around and kind of go, how come that person doesn't have to go through what I'm going through? It's the most natural thing in the world. When we're young, how come that kid doesn't have to do all the stuff I have to do? How come that kid gets to play and I don't? We don't grow out of that. How come... Their marriage doesn't feel like mine. How come I have this kind of pain and that person gets to be healthy and happy and whatever? It's it's unfair. That's what makes suffering so suffery. Because that's true. And so today in James chapter 1, just verses 9 through 12... He's going to tell us, even during the suffering, look forward, not around. Let's see what he says and how we might grow 
from this. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 9, reads this way, But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. And the rich man is to glory in his humiliation, because like flowering grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass, and its flower falls off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man, in the midst of his pursuits, will fade away. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, or once he has proven genuine, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. That's our passage. We start in verse 9, where James tells the lowly Christian to look forward and not around. So James is speaking definitely to Christians here. His nickname for Christians is brother. We can understand that as brothers and sisters. And at first he's talking to someone this translation calls lowly. Your translation might say uh, the Christian of humble circumstances. The Greek word here, um, uh, tapanos, is the, is the Greek word. And it's defined as being of low social status or relative inability to cope. So, if your Bible calls this a, a, the poor Christian, don't think of this as only the financially poor. Though that, would, that definitely counts. That would be involved here. But this can be anyone who is of comparatively lower social status than others. Um, any way the world usually measures people. Anyone who compares like unfavorably along those lines. So this could be someone who has less money than most, less talent than most, less beauty than most, less charisma or friends or whatever. And James says something really interesting to that person. And I want you to know we can all be that person. I don't care how much you have, how much you've achieved. All of us at times tend to feel like we're left out, we're rejected, we're, we're less than. This can be us at different times. And James says something really interesting to this Christian who is, giant air quotes, lowly. He tells them to take pride in his high position. Now, how can it be said that a person who is lowly actually has already a high position? There's only one way that's true, and it's this word right here is that this person James is describing is a, is a Christian. If you are a Christian, if you have that declaration of righteousness that I talked about a minute ago from God, then you have the highest position afforded to a human being. Because you've been, you've been granted all of these different statuses by God. You've been afforded a legal status by God that is not guilty, perfect, righteous. You've been granted a family status by God. You've been adopted 
as his son or daughter. You've been granted an estate status. You've been written into the will. You you will inherit everything that Jesus deserved to inherit. You've You've been granted a spiritual status. As Paul told the Ephesians, that God has already blessed every Christian with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ. So that's the the status, that's the position every Christian already has. But I want you to know this verse is a command. It's kind of hard to see that in English, but there's the first word in Greek is an imperative, which is a command word. It just shows up right here in this translation, let, which doesn't sound very commandy. Um, your Bible might say something like this, the brother of humble circumstances ought to take pride in. There's the command. But here's the command. We are commanded when we feel lowly, if we are lowly, we're commanded to take pride in, to glory in, to boast in the high position we've been given by God. We're not commanded to take pride very often in the scriptures. What's that mean? Well, what's pride? Pride ultimately is self-focus. Ordinarily, pride is that part of me that wants to see me better than I actually am. Greater, smarter, uh, more accomplished. I want to be more in the way the world measures more. So my pride gives me this little magnifying glass and, and tempts me to look at myself through that magnifying glass and it will encourage me, I want you to look through that magnifying glass when you see me. I want you to see me, but a little bit better, a little bigger, a little greater. That's pride. It's my self-focus. Now, there's another kind of pride that's the same thing, but sort of the upside-down version of that, where that magnifying glass is turned on my problems. I want my problems over there, my, my accomplishments, my wealth, whatever becomes my identity. I want you to see me as really something over here. My problems sort of become my identity. And I want you to see my pain, my hurt, what I don't have, how I've been left out. And that becomes my identity. Who I am is wrapped up in those things. And so James... James is telling us as Christians, we have to self-evaluate differently than the rest of the world self-evaluates. Almost all the rest of the world is stuck in one of those two places, wanting themselves and wanting others to see an exaggerated view of either their good stuff or or their painful stuff. And we can flip back and forth between the two. James says, not so for us. We have to do our self-evaluation differently because we have to look forward. We have to look up for our self-evaluation, not out, not around. It's a little bit like James is asking the reader this question. Those of you who are considered lowly, less than, who told you that? 
Because it wasn't God. This reminds me of just after the first sin in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sinned. Do you know why Adam and Eve sinned? Because they were convinced. They, they looked around and they found something they didn't have. The only thing in the whole world they didn't have. They looked around and thought, boy, if, if I had that, I'd be better. They looked around, fell into the trap of comparing themselves to people who didn't even exist, comparing themselves to God, that, oh, I'd be better if I did what God said I hadn't ought to do. And then as soon as they sinned, God comes down and says, hey, Adam, where are you? And you know where Adam was? He was hiding. And Adam says to God, well, I heard you coming, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. You remember what God asked Adam next? Who told you you were naked? What God was saying is, you, have the same, you had the same amount of clothes on today that you had on yesterday, and it wasn't a problem yesterday. Who told you there was something wrong with you? Where have you been getting your evaluation from? Because it's not from me. You've been looking around. James is telling us here, those of you who are considered lowly by others and mainly by yourself, who told you that? He says, you should be taking pride in focusing on the, what you have in Christ, which is all things for all time. You are completely loved, completely accepted, completely adored and cherished by the one with the highest standards in all of the universe. But yet somebody who drives a better car than you makes you feel lousy. For those of us who struggle with feeling less than, or lowly. That's where our focus needs to be. In the high position we already have. Look forward, not around. Now in verses 10 and 11, James moves on. He turns his attention to who is usually called the rich. The one who is, who is rich. Despite the picture I put on the slide here, just like with the, word, with the poor Christian a minute ago, this is not just a wealthy person. This is anyone who compares favorably uh, with other people the, the way the world usually measures those things. So this is the powerful, the wealthy, the influential, uh, the, the athletic, the beautiful, the charismatic, the whatever. And James says, I want to talk to you for a second now, and you need to focus not on your high position. You need to focus on your low position. Your humiliation, same thing. And the reason James says that 
someone who doesn't feel lowly, someone who's looking around and I'm comparing favorably and things are going well, that they should focus on their, their low position, which I'll explain in a minute. The reason they should focus on that is because, James says, all that stuff that tends to make us feel like we're comparing favorably to others, all of that stuff is like a bonfire made out of tumbleweeds, right? It burns hot and quick, but then it's over. And he, and he tells this little illustration about the grass dying and, and flowers fading. I, this concept is taught so many places in the Scripture, I hate to even start telling you, referring you to places. I'm just going to tell you one Psalm 49 says it this way, do not be afraid when a man becomes rich. Like, don't sweat it when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house is increased. You know why? Because when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not descend after him into the grave. You ever heard, you can't take it with you? It's biblical. We just read it. Though while he lives, he congratulates himself. And though men praise him when he does well for himself, the same thing's going to happen to him that's happened to all his ancestors. He's going to die. He'll never see the light again. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish. That's, that last line, is, it's like the psalmist is saying, you know what, when we die, it's just like nobody, the last time a squirrel died out in the woods somewhere, nobody thought, oh man, you see how many nuts he had stored away? That's what that means. It's just like, right, the last possum that got ran over on the highway. That's, that's where we're all headed physically. The lesson in, in these two verses, really, it's the same lesson worded differently. Don't look around as you self-evaluate. Look up, look forward. The way, the way this works, the way we tend to uh, derive our self-esteem, the way we assess ourselves, we answer these questions about ourselves. How talented am I? How, how many people pay attention to me? How much money do I have? How, how, how accepted am I? Then I look around at other people and ask the same question about them and I give myself a score, a feeling score of how to feel about myself based on those things. James says the Christian shouldn't ask that. We, we shouldn't ask how do I compare to others with what I have been given, with what I have achieved, with what I have amassed. The only, the only question I should ask about those things is, what have I done with what I've been given? With what I've been allowed to accomplish? With what I've been allowed to achieve? Because, James says, a time is coming when all of that stuff that we use to get the score of how I feel about myself, all of that stuff is going to be gone in a puff of smoke. And then I'm going to be standing right in front of someone that's going to make me feel like, oh, you know what? I have a much lower position than I thought I had. James says, 
You focus on your low position. Wealthy, talented, influential person. Because a day is coming when you're going to stand before the greatest being in the universe and none of us are going to think we're, we're that hot of stuff in that moment. And we're not going to have any of that stuff with us. And the only question that will matter at that time, and we will be asked, oh Christian, will be asked by the one we stand in front of, what did you do with what I gave you? Jesus taught this in Matthew 25. He taught a parable, usually called the parable of the talents. And it's just a story where we're, we're taught God gave different people different amounts of stuff. Different amounts of talent and beauty and money and all that stuff. And what matters is not how much stuff did God give me. That doesn't matter. What matters is what we do with what God gave So James encourages us, look forward. When things, are going, when things are going well, when things are going awesome, when I am successful, when the, when the accounts are growing, look forward to that time I'm going to stand before the one who dwarfs me. Look forward, not around. Now, now in some sense, these two verses seem a little out of place in James's train of thought. Let's zoom out for just one second. Remind me, James is talking about growing in our faith. And what's, his, what's the main topic he's been talking about this whole time? Considering it all joy when we're going through what? Trials, pain, suffering. Well, what's this discussion of being wealthy and famous and beautiful and skinny doing in a, uh, in a discussion about trials? Listen, the Christian does not assess things the way the rest of the world assesses things. You know, the, thing, the things that the rest of the world calls their biggest blessings many times are their biggest trials. In fact, sometimes the hardest trial of all is the absence of what we think our trials. Because when things go well, when we get what we want, when we do achieve, when the accounts are growing, when we have plenty of money, when we, when we grow 300 bushel corn, I have no idea what a good corn yield is, but we easily look around make that bad comparison, get that bad feeling score. We begin to uh, be tempted to think of ourselves as self-sufficient. Because we get our identity so easily out of those things. You know, we talked about over the last two weeks, God allows trials and painful things like that dog that runs on the sidewalk to encourage us to run back toward our daddy. Sometimes it's really hard to understand our need for our daddy. 
when we're actually getting what we want. That's why that's sometimes a bigger trial than what we think is trials. It's been said before that before God, our only need is need. God will accept absolutely anyone who comes to him in faith, right? Our greatest need is understanding that that's what we need to be accepted by God. Our greatest need is understanding our need. Well, listen, if you want to grow in your faith, if you want to mature in this thing, if you want to take this seriously, if you want your sanctification process to actually be happening, our greatest need is to understand that's what we need. We really do need to be growing in our faith. But boy, when we're getting everything we want down here, it's really hard to understand that's what I actually need. A good friend of ours named John Lambert uh, lived in Juarez, Mexico for quite a few years, ran an orphanage. And he told me a story that uh, they'd received a a short-term missions group. Americans were down there. They had worked all day at the orphanage. They they had enjoyed a meal at a a host family, a Mexican family that were supporters of the the orphanage and lived there in Juarez. And after after the meal, the Americans were sitting around talking. And they were discussing like, what it must be like to live in Juarez. They were talking about the crime in some places, the filth, the poverty. And one of the Americans said, how do they get people to believe there's a God who loves them when he allows them to live like this? And their host couple was in the kitchen kind of cleaning up and they heard that question and burst out laughing. Well, that was not the... That was not the response the Americans were expecting. So they asked, like, what's so funny about that? They said, oh, we were just in here talking about life in America. And we had just asked, how do those Americans get anyone to understand they need God when they already have everything they could ever want? That's what James just taught us about in verse 9 and verses 10 and 11. When we feel lowly, we feel abandoned, that becomes our identity, we feel hopeless. When things are going great, we don't see our need for what we actually need. But if we want to grow in this thing, we've got to look forward and stop looking around. That's what James is talking about. Now, will it be worth it if I live my life looking forward and not looking around? Yes. In the last verse we'll look at this morning, James writes, Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, for once he's been approved, or once he has proven genuine, or once he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Okay. Now notice, James says the blessed person is someone who has gone through trials. We would tend to think a blessed life would be the absence of trials. But it's not. We just said sometimes that's the biggest trial. It's also true, though, that there is no benefit from merely having gone through lots of terrible stuff. The benefit comes by going through terrible stuff in a way 
where we persevere, where we endure. And I understand what that means. You have to go back and listen to the previous two sermons because that's what we talked about in verses 2 through 8. There's this bad idea that I hear sometimes. I do a lot of funerals for people who are unchurched. And I've heard people say stuff like this. Well, I'm sure he's in heaven because down here he sure went through hell. There's not a lick of truth to that. There is no benefit for merely having gone through terrible stuff. But there is great benefit from having gone through terrible stuff in a way that God would say is going through it well. When the terrible stuff pushes me into the arms of my daddy, when I cling to him, when I see there's going to be joy, when I glorify him, when I'm still reaching out to others, when I'm a light in the midst of a dark situation, there's tons a benefit from that. That is the person, James says, who has been approved, proven genuine. How do you prove that your faith is the real thing? How do you prove to yourself or to anybody else that this faith you claim is real? You know what James says right here? When life gets tough and I go toward my daddy. When life hurts and I still want to glorify him and grow in this thing. I still believe, I'm still convinced that his sovereign care is happening even though he's allowing this. And James promises And if you do that, you will receive something he calls the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now, I want to tell you exactly what the crown of life is, but I have no idea. (laughs) I would love to tell you. Is this an actual crown? We're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. If we go through trials well, will he give us an actual crown? I don't know. Is this symbolic? of other tangible things that will last throughout eternity? Probably. What I do know is, I don't know what this looks like. What I do know is the person who gets whatever this is, is the person who goes through trials the way God would say as well. And I do know it's God who gives this thing, so I can promise you it's awesome. Now, I do want to tell you one other interpretation of this that I find interesting. There are people who love the Lord, believe in the inerrancy of Scripture, all that stuff, who say this isn't something you receive at the judgment seat of Christ and eternal rewards. This is for today. And whether you believe that from this passage or not, the concept is true because this works like this. If you persevere through a trial in the way God says we ought to persevere through a trial, we cling to him and we mature and we grow. In this interpretation, the crown of life is that we receive that abundant life Jesus promised to those who follow him down here. Which means, even though life is hard, I have more peace than I used to have. I have more joy than I used to have. I'm a little more bulletproof 
than I used to be in that when that person buys a new car, I no longer hate their guts. Now be honest, would that be nice if someone in your friend group gets a new car and it doesn't affect your heart anymore? You don't have to convince yourself that their new house really isn't all that nice. I have contentment that I didn't used to have. Enduring trials, last thing from this verse though, notice enduring trials is connected to the love of the Lord. When the pain and the pressure starts, that's when what we love is laid bare. Isn't that true? When you're young and you're on a sports team and someone else gets the spot you wanted, what you love gets laid bare. When the pressure starts and my, what my, and my love is for Jesus and I know he hasn't gone anywhere and I go toward him and I glorify him and I'm others focused, that gets laid bare too. That's who gets the crown of life, whatever this is. As we evaluate our lives, ourselves, we have got to look forward and not around. If we tend, if our struggle is we tend to think of ourselves as having less, being less, being lower, we have got to start more and more looking up, looking forward for my self-evaluation and concentrating on the very high position I have. Who told you you're so lowly? Because it's not God. And if you believe that and God believes something is different, one of you two is wrong. If we tend to to think of ourselves as, as having more, as being successful, as a high achiever, we need to focus on understanding one day we are going to stand before the one who dwarfs us. We have to understand right then, I will not be the glorious one. And the glorious one is going to want to know, what did you do with what I gave you? We need to make the habit, looking forward, not around, looking up, not out. As our identity is more and more in Christ and it shapes us into someone who loves him more and more, that full life that Jesus promised will begin to grow. But that is reserved for those who look forward and not around. Let's pray. Our Father, every one of us in here, including the guy who just preached that sermon, is guilty of looking around and not forward to get our self-assessment, to decide how we're doing, to even figure out who we are. God, as a church, as families, as individuals, we want to grow in this thing we call Christianity. To do so, we are going to have to look forward and not around. We're going to have to look up and not out. Thank you 
for the identity you have gifted us with if we believe in Jesus. Help us to draw our own identity, what we think about ourselves from what you have told us about us. Begin to grow in us contentment and joy and peace as we continue to see trials as a way to prove we trust and love the one who's in control. Maybe someone might see us as different through our trial and want to know how to get that kind of peace too. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.